Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2022, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show on this June morning. My name is Chloe Foster and my esteemed panel today are some people that I am very happy to get up early on a Sunday morning to spend time with. We must welcome Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants up in Macedon, John Arnott, Manager of Horticulture at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria Cranburn Gardens, and Emma Heard, Landscape Architect Extraordinaire. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Good folks. Morning. <laughs> There's a bit of green in the studio this morning, <laughs> yes. as usual. Yes, as should be, seeing <laughs> as it's a gardening program. <laughs> it is a gardening And are they all potted plants this morning? No, 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 no I, I bought in one sprig, yeah, which we'll talk sprig. about in due course. Very one good. Sprig. Very good. John, did you ride in this morning? I didn't. No, no, I piked it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a clear morning. It would have been a beautiful morning to ride. It would have been a beautiful morning. Yeah, yeah, cold. Very cold and still. Yeah, yes. yeah. It was three degrees at my place. I'm sure it was probably even colder up yeah, in the hills. Probably was. I didn't check this morning as I was leaving, but certainly as I walked out the door, I could feel a sudden change mm. in temperature. But hasn't it been nice just Friday mm. and yesterday to see the sun? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I never complain about rain, but, <laughs> you know, it's nice to get those sort of breaks in the weather where you get a little bit of nice weather. And, of course, I had a whole pile of bare-rooted trees arrive earlier this week, so They've all been healed in and I've been trying to price and manage them. Uh, I generally pot my bare-rooted trees as soon as they arrive. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, that way, if they don't sell immediately, because I can bare-root them again if somebody wants one, uh, but they're already potted up ready for the spring. Excellent. So I work on them all. Haven't didn't do a big order this year, but... Oh, it's really dreary trying to pot them up and root prune them, pot them. Mm. And that red clay soil that comes from the dandenongs yeah. is still attached to the root systems. Mm. You end up with mud from one end <laughs> of you to the other. Uh, and I have to keep washing my hands every time I need to do some labelling. And oh, it's a messy, horrible job. But anyhow, it's done. Do you wear gloves, Stephen? Or do you? No. no. I have never in my life worn gloves. You can probably tell by my hands. Mm. Um I don't know. I probably grew up in an age where people didn't think to do such things. Mm. Um, and I've, I've tried a couple of times, but I just find that I lose all real dexterity. dexterity. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and certainly if I'm doing something fine, like pricking out seedlings or something, I yeah. mean, it's impossible to wear gloves, at yeah. least for me. Yeah. When, when you're doing the really fine work. 
Mm. You, yeah, it's hard and to wear And doing cuttings and things, I can't do that with no. gloves on. I mean, mm. I'll end up cutting my wrists with a... With a with the Stanley knife or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I've never worn gloves in my life and my hands will tell you the tale. But anyhow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, the, I'm the same. I, I, I garden without gloves. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure we're not meant to be saying this. No, I'm we're sure not. We're, no, no, it's actually irresponsible people. of Ga- us. Gardening without gloves is okay. I mean, there's all the, you know, beneficial organisms in the soil and that, but it's the pot- it's potting mix. Mm. Yeah. That you need to be wearing gloves. Now, for. I have to say, I oh, will make one proviso with that. It's generally potting mix that's in bags. Yeah, okay. Because uh, mm. I buy potting mix in a 10 metre truckload. So yeah. this whacking great big truck comes backing down my driveway, and I go into a state of nervousness, worrying about whether they'll miss the driveway and take out half the garden or the shed as they're going through. Uh, fortunately, the drivers I've had over the years have been very good. Good. Uh, and so I had a truckload I need delivered a couple of weeks ago, knowing my bare rooted trees were coming in. And when potting mix is in a big open pile, it's not the same problem as it is when it's in a seal. Bag, okay, uh, because mm. they talk about opening the bag and dampening the potting mix down and aerating it before you use it. Mine's already aerated, so yeah. Uh, and again, I mean, I've been working without masks and all those things my whole adult well, actually, my childhood and adult <laughs> life thinking about it because I started in the nursery industry at the age of 10. Child uh, labor, yeah, I was child labor, <laughs> slave labor, in fact, yeah. to my father. Um, uh, I was one of those that had to get up early in the morning before the, he went to school and stoke the boiler with briquettes. Yeah, right. Oh. And, For the glass and, house. And at about yeah, uh, and at about twelve, I was carrying big bags of briquettes on my back down the driveway to the to the greenhouse because the guys who delivered them would only drop them at the top of our driveway. I'm imagining they were Hessian sacks. They were. They were big <laughs> Hessian sacks. Oh, and you could feel the briquettes <laughs> digging into your back as you were walking down towards the greenhouse. It was really hard work. And you had to sort of grab it by the corners of the bag and you had to sort of fling yourself up so that you could mm. sort of get up with it on your back. And I had a mate from school staying with me on early high school, I think. And without thinking, I'm lifting up these bags of briquettes and down the driveway and he thought, oh, if he can do it, I can. And he tried to pick up a bag of briquettes and he went sort of base over apex. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I did all that stuff as a kid, you know. So I was serving customers as a 12-year-old and weeding, potting, doing cuttings, all that sort of stuff. So, and there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> well, that's debatable, Chloe. Very debatable. But um, I have led a comparatively healthy life right up until this point, Touchwood. Um, so I think being out in the open air and doing physical labour is actually pretty good for people. Oh, there's so, yeah, so hey, many benefits. Hey, Chloe, you, gloves and potting mix or mask and potting mix? Oh, good point. Yeah. I, well, gloves, I think, because there's fertilisers and... Whatever else in potting mix, yeah. um, wetting agents and all that, but I think, especially in the last couple of years, I, I think probably in the last five to ten years they're recommending masks yeah. for potting mixes and those other sorts of growing media. And that's because as well. because of the, of the particles, legionnaires. Yeah. legionnaires. But uh, there's probably just general particle inhalation as well. Yeah, that's okay. a bit of a safety risk. Particularly with propagation materials like perlite. Oh, perlite's dry. Oh, yeah. It's like yep. dangerous, that stuff. Yeah. Double mask up when yep. you're using And, yeah, th- that needs to be really damped down. Yeah, when, I, you're when using I open that. a bag of perlite, I slip the bag open and I hose. just put a hose in yeah. the top of it. Yeah, right. 100%. Yeah. Well, I have a dear friend who is a gardener and um, she 
acquired a brain injury from what they think it was a fungal infection oh, and they have no way of knowing but they think it was from potting mix. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, okay. there are things in potting mix that, you know, it's not a, it's not 100% that it was from potting mix, yeah. but, but she a, comes into contact with it so frequently that... It was a possibility yeah, or a probability. Yeah, there's a chance, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, so I think probably masking up these days is really important and, and keeping keeping it damp. You mm. don't want to be, like, you know, brushing down the nursery floor at the end of the day and dust going everywhere. Yeah, I mean, sure. I used to, when I worked in nurseries, I used to come home and... Be black boogers coming out. It's charming, isn't the it? The amount of potting mix is probably in my lungs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, dear. So, yeah, mask Life up is using a risk, potting though, mix. The way, is. Is the way I look at things. I mean, mm, you know, I mean sometimes I... you've just got to get on with things and mm. we're all going to die of something. Oh, I <laughs> could have been driving into the city every day and yeah. breathing in pollution. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's mix. what makes me laugh a little bit when people get very thingy about what they'll use in their garden, but they'll drive somewhere to get it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and we're putting more into the atmosphere probably with the driving uh, than we are, in fact, with some of the things we use in the garden. Not that I'm suggesting you find that thing of DDT stuck in the back of the shed somewhere oh, and use God. it. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, you know, we do need to be a little sort of even about this whole thing, um, yeah. I, I think. But I think we've got better. I mean, oh, we have. You know, mm. I'm, I'm just reflecting back on the, the apprenticeship days yeah. and the, 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 the chemical shed oh. was, was just a wooden cupboard mm, yeah. and the nature of some of the chemicals that we, that we used to – and, like, I, you know, we put gloves on and stuff like that, but it was, mm. let's say, sub-optimum yeah. chemical handling treatments. Yeah. <laughs> We've just had someone text in, does the panel advise pruning or handling poisonous plants without gloves as a good idea? Oh. Poisonous plants are, uh, generally speaking, poisonous if you ingest eat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some of the euphorbias and things, you don't want to get the sap all over you. Yeah, if, if grevilleas itch you. Grevilleas. Yeah, but that's... PPE up. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just a matter of what it is. Kangaroo paws. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not poisonous, but they're... Irritable. Irritable. Yeah. They're, they're, because of their the Irritable kangaroo yeah. paw. <laughs> yeah, and, and euphorbias, like, you know... Oh, if, if you I was get the sap them, in your eye, yeah, I have. Gla- um, <gasps> yeah, that hurts. It hurts. I have yeah. too. Yeah, so glasses up yeah. when, when yeah. so I'd, I'd, I'd err on the side of ca- caution these days. Yeah. And if oh, you're doing something yeah. that you know is irritable or a little bit poisonous Actually, somehow. Actually, a group of plants that I have become more and more intolerant of over the years are things that have that sort of uh, gritty farina on the back of their leaves, things like buddleias, oh, yeah. rice yeah. paper plant. Yeah. Um, if I'm handling some of those things and I'm not careful, uh, I end up with my throat just about closing yep. up with Ooh. the stuff that comes off the leaves. And I stupidly one time pruned back one of my big buddleias and decided to chuck it through the shredder. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't a particularly clever idea, I have to say. And I got this cloud of stuff that came out of the shredder and I was hacking and coughing for ages. So be careful. Yeah. So back in my in my early horticultural days, I was I was in a propagating shed and the old lady, that little old Maltese lady, like so petite mm. and because she's from Malta or just had terrible blood flow, was cold 24-7. <laughs> so she'd have the heater on in summer if she could. Doors closed all the time. And the ha- the place was an absolute hot box, and she was tr- propagating the poor propagating poor propagating material. <laughs> no, air- yeah, exactly. No air ventilation at all, and we'd be propagating these buddleias, and everyone's coughing and yeah. got sore throats. Yeah, yeah, buddleias are a real. Yeah. 
yeah. real risk yeah. uh, from that perspective. I mean, not they're, they're not poisonous, no. but it's just that sort of gritty that... stuff you get into your lungs. Yeah, it's awful. they're a shocker. Yeah, mm. and uh, yeah, uh, bed fortier arborescence. Yes. Oh, yes, that, that has that, that same that has sort of downy, downy stuff on yeah. the leaves. Some of the salvias have that as well. Yes, yeah, some of the salvias. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, so one needs pods. to be aware. Yeah, Definitely. one needs to be aware. What's, and what's that, uh, the common name for lag, Laginaria? Is it oh, yes, oh. the cowage? Uh, Norfolk Island. Norfolk Island hibiscus. 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 Yeah. yeah. Cowage? Was it called the cowage as well or something? Yeah, yes. yes, that was one of the common yeah. names for it. Yeah, we used to, I remember when I was an apprentice and we used to go down to Oakley Technical School to do our training. I was on a block release system where I'd go down for a fortnight a year, uh, four times a year, and there were a lot of those lagging areas growing down in that part of Melbourne, mm. um, and anybody who wasn't aware of them would soon end up with one down their back, uh, one of the seed pods. <laughs> yeah, the old itchy bomb. Yeah. Itchy bomb. Yeah. But they're beautiful trees. Oh, they're lovely trees. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. They're a beautiful nice flower. Yeah, yeah, beautiful flower. Tough. Actually, I had to talk yeah. somebody out of taking one out. Yeah. Not that terribly long ago, I was down in the Western District, and I won't mention which property, but it was one of the, the big um, um, estates, you know, those sort of Western District estates, yeah. and the owner had this amazing um, river red gum that you could see from the house, and it had a trunk as wide as this studio. It was just a magnificent thing. Beautiful. And there was a big lag in the area, Patterson and I, on the housewood side of it. And he was saying, oh, I think I'll get rid of that thing. It's the biggest lagging area I think I've ever seen in my life. It was enormous. Yeah. Mm. I reckon it should have been on the National Tree Register anyway. And he's saying, and he took me up to the house and he said, see, I can't see the trunk of my, my river red gum. Um. And I said, well, you could. All you need to do is lift the canopy. Oh, yeah. yes. And that's what I suggested Good. he do. I hope he, uh, he has done that because if he lifted the canopy up by about two or three metres, which would have been no problem to the tree itself, yeah. and then you would have missed the middle bit of the red gum, but you could see the canopy see above the and yeah. you could see see the trunk. Lifting and a canopy is such a good idea. Oh, yeah. It's a great thing to do. I mean, lifting and thinning canopies are things mm. that people don't think to do. Mm. And I went to a garden in northwest France called Le Vastavel, which belonged to a an elderly lady who was called Princess Dirdza. She was an Austrian princess. She was also president at one stage of the International Dendrology Society. Right, yeah. And she had this amazing garden, which is being looked after in trusts. She's passed away some years ago and she had this theory that all your trees should be thinned out so that you open up the canopies everywhere so you get views through and you get light through Glimpses. and you walk through her garden and all of her trees were light and airy and it was just beautiful, beautiful. but then they used to get a bucket of beer and a stiff brush and they used to polish their silver birch trunks. With beer? With, with beer. beer. And you could see how high they could get on the ladders by where the bark started to lose its pristine whiteness, which was up there somewhere. Uh, so it was gardening in a fairly high level of yeah. horticultural yeah. excellence, I have yeah. to say. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. lots of input. Especially with the thinning of the canopies, oh. that would have been a huge job. Oh, and it was a bit, it, well, not was, it is a huge garden mm. and it's got something like four or five thousand thousand taxa in it it's um right. uh and every bed had to pay its way every season so there were things that were in every bed that would flower at different times of the year have fruit autumn color uh colored stems in the winter every bed had to have something in it that was notable at every time of the year and so she spent most of her life doing that and it's an amazing garden that's very well thought out oh yeah, yeah. yes in fact it would be a worthy thing for young people to go and Donate their time to a place like that. And I know you can do it with Great Dixter Garden in England. Mm. Uh, you can put yourself up for um, a sort of a 
uh, well, it's not an apprenticeship. Cheap labour. Yeah. <laughs> cheap labour, but you, you get trained as you go. Yeah. So I see it as a very good good thing. Yeah. And you can put on your CV that you worked at Great Dixie Garden. <clears throat> yeah. um, volunteering. Yeah, yeah, volunteering, basically. There was a basically. scholarship in alignment with that at one point. Yes, um, I'm not I think sure. you're right, Emma. Yeah. yeah, I think it still exists. I uh, think it does. Yeah. Google that if you're out there listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, any time you ever get a chance to visit La Vastaval, um, it is a an amazing garden. But it's not, it's not tricky. You know how some gardens you can see money's just been thrown at them. Um, I went to uh, Longwood Gardens in Pennsylvania two or three years ago. What do you think of that? Amazing horticultural level. Mm. You know, you can't find a dead flower or a broken leaf or anything yeah. in the whole place. But, I mean, such an amount of money's been thrown at it. And, I mean, their, their water garden with their, their jets that are actually computer-generated via classical music and what have you. I mean, it's Disney gardening, in you know, at the highest of levels. Yeah. But it's an experience. It's mm. something people should do. Th- sort of theme park garden. It is sort yeah. of a theme park garden. Yeah, right. uh, but, you know, you see plants grown superbly. I mean, they had trained chrysanthemums that were done in tiers and layers and cascades and you name it when I was there. And the water lily ponds were full of lotuses and giant Amazonian water but lilies. the French one had a little bit more life. Soul. It, it Soul. Was, it, well, there was a definite personality in it, yeah, which right. is always an important thing. I think a garden that is that is personal always has a bit of an edge yeah. over something that's been designed and created over a um, you know through committees and what have you mm-hmm. and princess Sturza was a really really strong personality lady Slight, she was only about four foot five, but she was frightening. Um, uh, she used to walk around the garden with a hoe, and it wasn't to keep herself up; it was to whack people with if they stepped into the garden beds or a hoe or what? Yes, a Dutch hoe with a. Yeah, yeah. With a, with I, think, <laughs> I think she'd hit you with the other end of it, but nonetheless, oh, um, uh, she did actually hit one of the tourists that were in a tour group prior to the year I went there because they patted the dog, and they'd been warned not to pat the dog. Uh, so yeah, so she was uh, a, a character. I was quite pleased that I got to meet her before she passed away. But, yeah, that garden is remarkable. Yeah, And actually, just in passing, if anybody's interested, I have got a tour going there probably next June. All right. So we've got Normandy and Brittany next June. I've got Spain in May. Awful. Yeah, it's dreadful. I don't Mm. know how I'll cope. Mm. Uh, And for anybody who's Why did you pick horticulture again? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) The things you have to do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And for those who are interested, I'm going to Western Australia in September to do the wildflowers. Oh, super. Yeah, and Sabrina Hahn is going to be my on-ground expert over there because I'm not really good with the Western Australian native plants, but she will be. What's Sabrina's back? story uh she's a horticulturist she does abc radio in uh western australia right. and she's you know she's in the horticultural media association and mm. she's been leading tours for years and what have you mm. and uh she seems to know her stuff so good yeah so it should be good fun and for those who want to go a little further afield there's new zealand in november although i think new zealand is now fully booked I for think. next year already? For, no, for this coming oh, November. This year. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I think it's fully booked. The, the September one to the per, uh, Western Australia still has some spaces, but I'm, I'm pretty sure the New Zealand one's fully booked. And the Spanish and the French ones are getting close. So if anybody wants to do either of those, I would get on board pretty quick, smart. Travel's happening again? Travel is happening again. I, I want to be parochial. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, 
and it's it's not a criticism at mm. all. But I'm just I, I wonder why we're not running garden tours in Victoria. Well, we do. I do. Do you? Yep. Uh, I do an autumn one of the Macedon area oh, yeah. every autumn yep. uh, for about four days, and we go as far afield as David Lenz at Ascot, uh, Belinda Vale down at uh, Clarkville. So it's sort of the broader district yep. over four days with an emphasis on the Mount Macedon Gardens. Yeah, nice. Uh, which is good. Um, and it always books up. People love it. Um, of course, I have a, a slight edge with that tour because I know the area so well and grew up in it. You're a local. Uh, I'm a local and I know mm. the gardens, I know the owners. Yeah. I've probably got all sorts of uh, interesting little asides to give people about the different gardens that I know from way back and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, our autumn tours are really good. Yeah, good. Um, and I know the company I work for uh, are doing Victoria-based tours. Uh, of the garden tours? Yeah, garden tours. Okay, we did the Western good. District. Um, that's with ASA? Yeah, Australian Study Abroad. Oh, of abroad. course. Um, yeah. But we did the Western District and we got into some of the most amazing places over there, which were just remarkable. Been in the same family for five generations, you know, Mm. thousands of hectares of farmland, huge, big house, the whole bit. Didn't get into the the, the mire behind the the, the gates at Dunkeld, behind the the Dunkeld Garden? Yeah. um, Yeah, which one's the one in Dunkeld? The uh, Meyer, the Meyer family, M-E-Y-E-R. Uh, can't no, recall. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's grand. Is it? Yeah. Have yeah. you well, been there? Well, there's lots of grand yeah. over there. I'm surprised, actually, because I hadn't been into a lot of those gardens. I've been into some, but I hadn't been into a lot. I'm surprised just how many beautiful estate gardens are still over in the Western District, yeah. still being managed really well. It's good. Uh, and looking stunning, including beautiful property with well-run cattle and sheep and whatever else and re-vegging programs going on and all sorts of fabulous stuff. There's, there's a lot of... Yeah, I've I've heard I've never been to any, but for years I've heard of the private Western District oh, gardens over there, and the the public botanic gardens in the Western District. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, really good. Yeah, Warrnambool's well. really good. Uh, Hamilton. Hamilton's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some really nice yeah. botanic gardens over yeah. there. Hamilton's lovely. Yeah, mm. yeah. Hamilton, Hamilton's a very pretty city. So yeah. well worth a trip. And there's a there's one estate garden which is open to the public. It's managed by the National Trust, Murramong. Yeah, I know of it. We uh, which didn't is near Skipton one. or yeah. uh, beautiful property. Mm. Yeah, really, really lovely. Yeah, so there we go. All right, we should probably move on. <laughs> we don't have a producer yet, Stephen, so we can't open the phones. Oh. Hold on, you can send us text messages, guys. We're just waiting for Susan uh, to come in. Uh, She's on I her way. I didn't even realize there was nobody out. <laughs> There's no one to answer the phones. Oh, uh, that's sad. Oh, well, if we can keep wanna, talking. Yeah, we can. Oh, I think we can keep talking. I think. <laughs> Um, Try and stop us. If there's any listeners that want to text in, you can send us a SMS on 0488 809 855. Now, I do have a question for the panel uh, via Instagram. So the Gardening Show has a Facebook and Instagram page. It's called 3CR Gardening Show if you want to um, tag us in your photos or um, this is where we put up photos of the plants that we talk about in every show. So Facebook and Instagram is called 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, now I had a message come through from Cheryl yesterday saying, could you please ask if lily pillies grow true from seed? <laughs> well, it depends on whether it's a hybrid lily pilly. <laughs> They're very variable. Extremely yeah. variable. Yeah. Yep. Even if you yeah, know <clears throat> the parentage. Think about um, 
the old Akmina Smithii. Yes, uh, the old original. The old original. Uh, the, the East Gippsland form has a huge, great big round leaf. Uh, there's a little creek form with tiny little foliage and everything in between. So they're, I mean, they're just highly variable from seed. Mm. They're gonna, it'll be. Yeah, pretty variable, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And if you see a lily pilly that has nice fruit that are really sweet and edible or really big, you don't want to collect the seed. You want to take cuttings from those to grow. Because that'll be clonal material and it'll be genetically identical to the one. Yeah. It'll have all those attributes in perpetuity. Yes. Because it's a clone. It's a clone. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you do it by seed, it could be... Yeah, you can end up with one that has smaller fruit or smaller yeah. leaves or bigger fruit, bigger leaves. Or dry fruit or yucky fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't want any dry fruit or yucky fruit. <laughs> we we, um, there's a lily pilly down the street. I think it's actually a um, – it might be called Pinnacle. I think it's a – I think it is a, a, a cultivar. Yeah. And um, our little granddaughter loves to harvest and eat the lily pillies off this particular plant. Um, I guess we should really knock on the door and say, is it okay that we, <laughs> yeah. we take all your fruit off your, off your tree? Yeah. Well, if they're Bec- not taking it, I don't see it as a problem. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I don't know, over the last six months, we must have collected 200 yeah. fruit. <laughs> there are rules about fruit in the street. You know, if it's overhanging a fence line, it's fine. No, we breached their garden. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. That sounds like us as kids. We used to go in where we knew there were good chestnut trees. Mm. Uh, and you used to sit the, my baby sister out near the front fence as, as a watch. <laughs> and we'd go in and we'd sort of pull up our jumpers and fill them all full of chestnuts and jump back over the fence and go home. And my baby sister, Christine, was only probably about five at one stage. And she was sitting on the front fence of a local lawyer's property uh, while we were in there stealing chestnuts. Uh, um, and he pulled up and said, what are you doing sitting on my fence? And she said, you've got to give up. We've been caught. <laughs> well, she was a good guard then. Yeah. 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 She, she was. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so there you go. So she's never been quite forgiven for that. <laughs> on the lily pillies, John, yeah. I was at my brother's place recently and I took the dog for a walk and I just went down Railway Parade in Seaford, yeah. getting close to the shops. There was a lily pilly hanging over the path and it had – Massive lily, massive berries on it, and I'm, I'm talking like yeah, ripper. small golf ball yeah. size berries. And I grabbed a handful of them. The tree was laden, and they were the sweetest, juiciest lily peely berries I've ever eaten. That was so can you, delicious. Can you pin drop? I actually uh, will. <laughs> <laughs> we need to know where that tree is. Yeah. <laughs> Send us a map with a pin drop. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll remember where it is. I'll do that yeah, because that was do. beautiful, absolutely yeah. beautiful. And my lily pilly at home, not all of them, but a lot of them have got really nice berries on them. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Karen recommended um, a lily pilly called Cascade last time she was in with the really big berries. And Mm. it actually has quite a large pit for Mm. a lily pilly, Mm. which is a seed, obviously. But I just had never seen uh, a lily pilly berry with such a large seed. And it was quite... um, Almost a bit more like um, a plum mm. That's a big one. Yeah. I, I usually think they're around about the size of a chickpea. Yeah, it was a bit bigger. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you, you can't eat them. but you, yeah, just, No, you don't eat them. You but... can spit them out. That's fun. <laughs> I reckon this one in Bond Beach that we harvest off is called Cascade. Yeah. Now, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cascade is one of the most beautiful lily pilly cultivars. Yeah. Absolutely Does it get beautiful. Does 
No. I don't, no, it doesn't. Yeah, because no. that's the one thing no, I get people clean. all the time saying, what's wrong with my lily pilly trees? And you see it mm. come up on, you know, gardening sites on Facebook and all that sort of thing all the time. And all these people, you know, sort of upset about their lily pillies looking disgusting with uh, silly attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. uh, it is, it's a pain. I think Absolutely. there are definitely psyllid resistant forms mm, now, but even them, I have noted, do get okay. mild. Yeah, you know, well, I can cope it. with mild with most yes. things. I, I mean, yeah. it's a bit like the pear and cherry slug. If you're growing a crataegus or a cherry or a plum or whatever, if it gets mild attacks of cherry slug, I can live with that. It's not a big deal. But when the whole plant is skeletal with yeah. it and, <laughs> and looks dreadful by Christmas time, you've got to start wondering. So, yes, yeah. yeah, so I've been trying to select things in the rosaceae family that are normally prone to cherry slug, but select the species that seem to be more resistant and recommending mm. those to people because, uh, yeah, it, it's another painful thing to have in the garden. Yeah, that slug is the worst. But mm. when it does come to psyllids, I find better to give it a prune than to try and spray mm. it with. Things. Yeah, yeah, they're really they're not something you can control with spraying. No, no. no. I did find that there were these tablets from Comfidor that were quite good because they, you know, you, you buried them mm. and they yeah. they were effective, but I don't advocate using them frequently. No, they're very... Because no. yeah. that's a systemic... Systemic, yeah. yeah. Gets into the system Anything of the systemic worries me a little yeah. bit. Yes. Um, you don't know where spectrum. it's going and yes. what its, you know, its long-term potential yeah, is. Yeah, well, really. it'll get everything mm. that eats well, it. Well, if you were to put a... Just the scenario... Mm. The, um, you put systemic insecticide into the soil, mm. produce a, a berry, you pick mm. up the berry, ingest the berry. Good to talk about though because yeah. I think, you know, they're available in many stores and if you're not told, well, this is going to knock out more than just what you're planning yeah, to it, knock yeah, out. It mm. kills anything that comes yeah, in contact exactly. with it, yeah. I, I don't believe they go, they get transferred into fruits. Okay. I think there's it's that next step genetically or something. Yeah, radio. I don't have a proper explanation for it, but it, it's still I think there's still a minute amount that would get transferred in and it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. Well, certainly I wouldn't use anything systemic if I'm growing something that I no, might potentially eat. Yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I'd hesitate to use it on just a straight ornamental, but uh, I certainly wouldn't put it on anything I was going to well, eat later. I think we talk about this all the time on the gardening show. If something is that sick and that ridden yeah. in a pest or disease, is mm. that the right plant for that spot that well, exactly. you're growing? Yeah, or move is on. there something Create else? A gap. Exactly. <laughs> Go buy a new plant. Yeah. Is it like is there something? Is there something else going on? There might be mm. something going on in the soil, but generally, wrong plant in the yeah. wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's always something that will grow. So it's just a matter of. Uh, Try again with something else. Speaking of plants that will grow, I've blackmailed Stephen oh. into bringing a particular group of yeah. plants in And I just today. sent Liz some pictures, but I only did it just then, so she's unlikely to put them up on our Facebook page for a wee while, but anyhow. Hey, can yeah. I just jump on the pesticide thing just for a sec? And, yeah. and Chloe, you, you'll know this intimately, because in the butterfly house, um, you'd spray a particular uh, food plant for Something for any reason A, B, C, and D. You mm. put an insecticide on. You have a look at the label, and it says the withholding period of this particular chemical is seven days. Three months later, it'll still kill caterpillars that ingest the leaves. 
seven day withholding period for human mm. consumption. Mm. Well, no, I don't want to be alarmist. Yeah. Like, I really don't want to be alarmist. But it, it mm. does say that those residues, yeah. even the residues, can persist yeah. for for and for ages. And that was one of the challenges of the butterfly house was pest management. Was that with the were you, was that when you were doing trials with different yeah. chemicals back then? Yeah. That's interesting because so the chemical that they use now, or, or the only pesticide that that they use at the zoo is eco oil, which is yeah, right. vegetable oil with essential oils in yep. it. So it just smothers what whatever's there. Yep. The withholding period for that is about um, officially three weeks, but the plants don't get eaten at least at least for another four to eight or weeks or something. Yep. So. Err on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that, yeah, we were using all manner of things. Like, like it was early in the piece. And would, yeah, I remember. Actually, when you talk about butterflies, it's funny because I did a YouTube video recently on plants I've planted specifically for certain animals, and I'd put in some milkweed to nice. attract the uh, monarch or wanderer butterflies because yeah. I knew they were in Australia, even though they're not originally from Australia, yeah. they're from overseas. But if they're food plants there, you can attract them. Yep. And Matthew and I were filming in front of my Asclepius, my milk. Um, uh, my weed, uh, and he's saying, "Why did you plant this?" And I said, "Oh, it's to attract the monarch butterflies." And one flew straight, oh. Oh. straight across the camera. Well done, and well done. Matthew fortunately didn't use an expletive because <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what you're likely to do when it yes. happens. It was such a shock to both of us. This monarch butterfly went <laughs> straight Fantastic. past us. But then on on our um, Comments page on our YouTube channel. Somebody said, "Oh, I love butterflies, but I can't stand caterpillars." Oh, right. yeah. oh give me a break! <laughs> I got back and said, "Well, you really do realise that you can't have one without the, the other. other, you know? So you've got to have caterpillars to get you butterflies." Mm. I was at Williamstown Botanic Gardens this week, and we were looking at the Metasequoia, the Dawn Redwood, oh, yes. there, and there was a monarch butterfly just sitting on one of the branches. I reckon it's an escape from the zoo. Could have been. And it was just time, sitting yeah. there. I think he was on his at the end of his. Well, we've had life. them. We've had them mate and lay on my on mm. my Asclepiuses. Uh, which and, which species? Asclepiarchus uh, was the one I planted. Okay. I yeah. believe you can use any of them. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting symbiotic relationship, sort of in a way. the The fact that we've bought that plant from overseas and are planting it here now, that butterfly has managed to get all the way from North America to Australia. Yeah. And it has to have plants basically in the milkweed family um, to live off because it's actually a toxic plant and when the caterpillars eat the plant, they become toxic so that they don't get predated. Oh. And so that's the sort of relationship between the plant and the, the animal. Oh, it's fantastic. And mm. it's really fascinating. Mm. And, yeah, so I've started getting the odd monarch butterfly in the nice. garden at home, which yeah. is really great fun. Yeah, I love that's it. good. There's, yeah. a, there's a, an Australian butterfly called the Australian crow. I don't know if you've if you ever worked with the crow at the at, at the zoo. The common crow. The common crow. The common it. crow. Yep. And it feeds on oleander. Yeah. And it it pupates when when it makes a, a pupa case. It's bright gold, like like you could they could be earrings. Yeah. yeah. They're that shiny and gold coloured, and that's just to say. I'm try here, me but on. Don't trust just try me on. Come on, <laughs> yeah. come on, bring it on. I'm pretty toxic here. Yeah. E- even the chrysalis of the monarch butterflies has two sorry. little um, gold spots, it like does. gold eyes yeah. at the top of it, and just beautiful green colour. Warning, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that fun? Well, yeah. we've got we've pulled ourselves off track again. Off track. <laughs> so let's get back to why I blackmailed uh, you. I went up to Stephen's beautiful nursery. Uh, with a, a whole group, group of, of very enthusiastic young people, which I was really, really pleased to meet. You nice. were so generous with us, so thank you. Oh, 
Absolute um, and pleasure. we all bought a lot of plants as well. So that <laughs> yeah, well, that does help. But, you know, that wasn't my prime interest. My prime interest was the fact that here's these young people that were showing excitement about plants. Yeah. Because, I don't know, most of them seem to be gaming and doing other things these days. So yeah. it's really nice to meet enthusiastic and youngsters. that particular group are super enthusiastic mm. about it. They're fantastic to teach. So yeah. we've had some real fun on uh, – the big excursions that we've taken them to. Uh, we, we, we went to Werribee in the Western District, which we can talk about later. But, yeah, when we went up to – we did a Macedon Rangers Day. Yes. And our first stop was Dixonia Rare Plants Nursery. Yes. And there was so many plants from the Araceraceae family. Yeah, and I said to Stephen, next time we're on, it's yeah. my favourite plant family. Is it? Can you please – yeah, can you please bring some down? Okay. Yeah. Well, they, they just, are fascinating. They're Gondwanery trees. Oh. Um, <laughs> they do point out to people that – our native plants aren't all eucalypts and acacias, yeah. you know, because we've got plenty of conifers. In fact, <laughs> not yeah. only have I bought uh, a, a, a couple in, but uh, also John has as well. Yep. Um, we have some really fascinating conifers, and I think... Well, Australia but, used to be dominated by these conifers. Yeah. Before we started moving northwards, before we split off yeah. from Antarctica and got really dry, we used to be warm and moist, even, even down here in Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and... And the flora was completely different because that's what yeah. this sort of flora needs. Yeah. And I, I love the group as well, as you could tell by what I collected. There was a good diversity I there. have got – I've probably got as good a diversity of Oracaeraceae as you can get anywhere in Australia, really. Um, and the Oracaeas themselves I find particularly interesting. I did bring in a little Agathus. I was uh, hoping there would be an Agathus. Yeah, this is Agathus atropurpurea from up north, mm, and it's quite so a rare beautiful. species. Um, uh, we've got three – Robusta, uh, Microstachia, and Atropurpurea. And Robusta is fairly commonly planted. You Mm. see quite a lot of that about. Is Robusta quite easy to grow? I think they're all comparatively easy to grow. Um, But because the the other two are comparatively um, isolated in their natural habitat, there's not huge forests of them and things. They're comparatively rare in the wild. I don't know whether they're on any CITES list or anything like that. I I think this is. Yeah, so the Atropurpurea. Atropurpurea's got conservation significance. And uh, so they're rarer to see around, but they're not that much harder to grow. And the trunks on this one, when it gets going, are just stunning. The most Mm. beautiful purpley patchy trunks so i think agathus are a really interesting group and you know we have some here there's agathus that go through the islands there's some in fiji and and all through that area mm. there's one in new zealand um uh, and then you go to new caledonia and they've got a, quite a number of different species there but the oricarias themselves fascinate me because you've got two species in south america the um Iconic monkey puzzle yeah, tree, monkey puzzle. Uh, and then the piranha pine or candelabra pine from further north. Uh, there's only 20 species that are recognised in the genus, 14 of which only grow on New Caledonia. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, a it's this spot. group of little tiny islands, yeah. and they've got 14 species of oricarias. Are the species restricted is one particular species restricted to a particular island in New Cal? Not necessarily. Some of them will only be found on the main island or Lapine or wherever. So they're mixed in but going they, in together. Well no, not necessarily mixed in together, but they tend to be isolated on certain hills or uh, coastal areas or whatever, like uh, Oricaria nemorosa you'll only find down on the south coast. The one I bought in this morning is Oricaria Montana, which they call the summit Oricaria, and it's a comparatively small tree, so it would be actually quite useful in a, an average garden. Uh, and in fact, if you go to the bot gardens here in Melbourne, 
they've got a New Caledonian section. It's sort of a bed. Uh, and there's several of these oricarias of, I think they've got three or four different species planted in there. Um, and they are the most dramatic and fabulous looking trees. They are just so incredible to look at. Mm. Uh, Montana coming from the higher peaks of New Caledonia, which I have to say aren't that high, but nonetheless, it's up in the hills a bit. It gets a bit cool. Um, it's growing really well at Mount Macedon. And I don't know, this might be a theory that's completely un, uh, unprovable or it could be disproved, but I think because our ancient conifers are so ancient, I wonder whether they've not got a little bit of cold hardiness left over from previous ice ages or uh, something like that. Almost certainly. Yeah, because it's yeah. really odd that I can grow a lot of New Caledonian conifers without thinking twice about it, including Nemorosa, which grows down on the coast in, in southern New, New Caledonia. Um, they don't seem to be particularly perturbed by the cold, but a lot of broadleaf plants from New Caledonia, I can kill them really quickly. Um, <laughs> That's uh, a fun speculative hypothesis. Hypothesis. I yeah. like that idea. Yeah, well, I think it. I think it could have legs. Yeah, <laughs> um, but they're wonderful plants. I mean, they have a geometric sort of form about them. Are oh, there's some nemorose? Uh, some it's hum, it's Humboldt. Oh, Humboldtiana. Humboldtiana. Yeah. Don't you just love the form of those New Caledonians? Oh, some of them are really amazing with this sort of candelabra shape. In fact, one of their agathus, agathus ovata, which has rounded leaves, mm-hmm. hence ovata, uh, it ends up like a pure candelabra all the branches in fact like a menorah you know the 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 jewish candlesticks and it just comes out like that and all it sort of comes up as a trunk to start with and then it all branches out and all the tops end up at being exactly the same height in this sort of arch remarkable and it is the most amazing looking tree they're 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 not something you plant to see because they're spectacular when they're 100 years old Mm, and older Mm. But, but it's usually we don't usually get to see that when you plant when you plant that mm. one. Look, I have to say, I think that's the same with most trees. Yeah. Uh, if you're planting any sort of major tree, none of us are going to live to see a tree mm. in fabulous old age. I mean, you you go to Greece and you see three thousand year old old olive trees, mm. and you know you go to different parts of the world, you see these wonderful old trees that we're never going to see as that. But I have to say, a lot of these Oricaraceous things, even as a young tree, are very sculptural, They're, very yeah. interesting in the interesting garden. Interesting looking things, yeah. You know, so they, they make a great conversation piece. So uh, I would uh, I would recommend people plant them because I think they're just such amazing plants. Um, and they are sort of picking up a little bit of uh, um, momentum. And I think I can pin it down, I think, to the discovery of the Woolamai pine. Absolutely. Uh, Southern Hemisphere conifers have suddenly come into their own again because of the Woolamai. Which is the fourth genera yeah. in the Oricariaceae. So there's Oricaria, yeah. Agathus, Agathus, third, third. Wolemia. Wolemia. There's nothing else, is no, there? That's no, three. It. Yeah, that's so it. three yeah. genera. Um, and, of course, one of them is a monotypic genus, so yep. there's only the one existing species. Uh, but I just think they're fabulous plants. Well, I, I bought an Agathus robusta from you that day, yeah. and I'm going to try growing it inside. Mm. They are good indoor plants. Yeah, I've grown great one in a pot years ago I got from Karanga Nursery, and it was underneath the eaves on, on mum and dad's deck. Yeah. And it just shot up. It mm. was beautiful plant. And, and I thought, I should try growing that. Inside, but Karanga haven't had them in stock mm. uh, reliably, and you had them, so I just grabbed one. So yeah. seriously, good indoor plant. Yeah, in yeah. fact, I because there's a big indoor plant push yeah. at the moment. Indoor plants and edible plants uh, yeah. since COVID set in yeah. seem to have gone gangbusters. Mm. And I'm recommending Oricarias and Agathus as indoor plants. I mean, the Norfolk Island pine. 
um, was used a lot back in the 60s and, and what have you as an indoor plant, generally in one of those dreadful bright-coloured anodised pots. <laughs> uh, and the structure of them. So Norvogon pine, even as a young fella... Has structure. Has form. structure. And I always say to people they look like they've been put together by a committee. <laughs> <laughs> Because they've got such a formalised form to them, um, I, I just love them, and and they've got that sort of primal sort of feel about them. Yeah, so. I think that's one of the things I love about them is just that old, like the Jurassic. Mm, yeah. they they look old. They look like a dinosaur would like to eat them. Yeah. yeah. So we're well, same with this thing here. This is this Primnopides um, uh, ladii. It's the Mount Spurgeon. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, Sturgeon. Sturgeon. Sturgeon, yes. Sturgeon, Sturgeon, Sturgeon pine. Yes. yes. Yep. Occurs on one mountain peak, far north Queensland. Um, well, that's uh, got to be vulnerable. It, it, it is highly <laughs> vulnerable. But, but it's a fantastic I, I, plant. It's a fantastic plant. Um, Australia has some incredible gymnosperm. Mm. Oh, absolutely. In flora. Absolutely. Yeah. So this thing, incredibly um, restricted in its, in its mm. natural. But I'll put some... Fa- um, some photos up on uh, onto, onto, the, onto the socials, but you can sort of see that that looks like it would be embedded as a fossil. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, they are living fossil plants. They are. They're, yeah. they're so special. Now, with that one, how tall is it? Slow it does growing. Grow to a fair tree, doesn't a good it? Tree. Given time, I've never been up in to see them in the wild, but it seems to me, from what I've read, that it grows to quite a good tree. Yeah, it's a good tree. But, I've got one in the garden at home that would be metre and a half. Are they now. sort it's of about... narrow in habit? No, or do it, they get... it's sort of... I, I, I would call them, yeah, they're narrow in habit. They're, mm. So they're, they're taller than they are wide. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but very, 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 very dense canopy. Mm. There's one at the Cranbourne Gardens that um, was planted in the Gondwana Garden in 2012 as, as mm. something at, at about that height, metre, 1.2 metres or something yep. like that. It's now four metres tall and mm. incredibly healthy. Mm. Um, on a dry year, um, where this thing occurs, it's four metres of rain. Uh, <laughs> a on, a, on a dry year, that's yeah. a dry year. Um, so in, an incredible amount of, of, of water. And if it's not... If it's not raining, it's dripping off the trees. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's really interesting because I was saying to you on the phone when you said you were bringing that in when we were talking yesterday or whenever it was, um, uh, I was walking past mine about two seconds before you rang. <laughs> Serendipity, wasn't it? Or oh, something. it was so weird. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. And when you rang and you said, oh, you know, have you got a Prunopides? And I'm going, well, I just walked past one. Um, and... Where I am, my soil can get quite hydrophobic in the yep. summer, and so it can be quite hard to keep things damp enough um, in the summer. And my prunopities, I'd say, is in quite a shadyish spot, mm-hmm. but it gets quite dry there. It's up on a, a raised bed. Uh, if you do water it, it just runs straight down off the bed. Um, and it's doing surprisingly well. Yeah. And, and similarly, in Cranbourne Sands that don't hold moisture all that long, yeah. Yeah. four metres of rain. Look, it's dealing – it's north-facing, yeah. full sun – North facing full sun. So was it thought out where they put it, or was it just uh, design wise? It, 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 it looked great. No, no, that's right. It was design driven. But it, yeah. but isn't that lovely when you? I mean, that's horticulture. Isn't it? It's it's making observations about plants well outside their natural range. Exactly. But but this this you know if you were to climate assess and climate risk this one, you would say don't even try. No. But it's thriving in, in cultivation in Victoria, in Macedon yeah, and, and in Yeah, it's doing well for me. Yeah. I want to talk about the podocarpus in a moment. We've had a few text messages come through. Oh, really? So um, 
Marie Omari in Newport says that there's a group of people in the Newport Williamstown area that are breeding and releasing monarch butterflies. So it probably hasn't <laughs> flown all the way from Melbourne Zoo. Right, yeah. That's good. Oh, to that's know. lovely. Yeah. Yep. So I wonder what the name of that group is. The yeah, they should Marie call themselves the Wanderers. The Wanderers. Call us or, the or, um, or message in again. Um, Rosie and Mitchum says that she gardens in bare feet with bare hands. <laughs> good on you, Rosie. I wouldn't bear, I wouldn't bear foot it, gardening in good. mine. <laughs> um, I believe it is a contributor to me, to my exceptionally good health, and I don't worry about the poisonous plants either. I'm just careful to wash my hands, and I wear a mask when I'm cutting ivy. Yeah, um, ivy's another one that can and, give and you an awful throaty problem. It is throaty. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Um, Another question. The barefoot gardener. Love it. <laughs> yeah, Love the barefoot gardener. I know somebody who gardens naked. <laughs> They're right out in the country out at Trentham, and I can't imagine you can do it all year round <laughs> out there. But he's on a farm and he's got plenty of space around him. You and just so want to be careful if you've got any sharp implements Yeah, that's around. right, exactly. You don't prune roses naked, <laughs> no. that's for sure. <laughs> no. All right, another question about philodendrons. Is it time to lift and divide philodendrons, and do they survive in frost-prone areas? No one knows. No. No, no. I wouldn't know. No, no, well, yeah. I've got what was Philodendron Salome, which is now something else, and I can't remember what the plant is now, um, growing in the garden at home, outdoors. But it's underneath some big old tree ferns. It's in a very sheltered spot, and it's been there 20 years, and it's still only a metre tall. So mm. it's very, very on its edge. It could die any minute. Is it divide-able? Like does, does, it, does, it have, can, does it have multiple trunks I from the I think it will depend on the species or the type of yeah. philodendron yeah. that it is. Yep. But I would always do those things when the weather was warming up. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, another question. Jane from Greensboro. She said, I need a root barrier to stop my neighbour's kaikuyu grass growing into my garden beds. How deep would I need to go for it to be effective? Oh, well, it'll need to stick up above the ground for a start because yeah, kaikuyu will go straight up and over. Yep. Uh, so you need to have that barrier sticking up so that you can keep an eye on it so that it doesn't get over the top of the barrier. How deep it needs to be. Maybe not super deep. No, yeah, 20 centimetres? I, would I say guess it would depend on the soil type a bit, a little bit too, because if it's very says, sandy, they'll she go says deep. She's got sandy loam on yellow clay. Well, it won't go down into the yellow clay. No, right? so, so it'll probably just hang around the sandy layer. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, t- it tends to form, yeah, I, I think 20 centimetres, 30 yeah. to be on the safe side of in yeah. sandy soil yeah. would be ample. Yeah, but make yeah. sure it sticks up out of the ground. Because yeah. the whole point of it yeah. will be lost if you don't. Because it'll just run over yeah, the top. Yeah, just run yeah. over the top. Buffalo yeah. and kaikuyu do that. So. I, yeah. I, I saw some kaikuyu the other day that had run up a, 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 a post, a, a light a light. Oh, pole, yeah, a power pole, pole or whatever, yeah. yeah. And, and it had this – and it was probably – Five metres off the ground? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, a lot of those posts have those sort of metal that, yeah, galvanised I see them growing up there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's amazing the, the height to which those things can find themselves if they really want it to. It was nearly to, the, nearly to the top. So you go, <laughs> Kaikuyu, that is a remarkable plant. Yeah. Yep. Climbing grass. Hey, <laughs> the, right. the climbing grass. Yeah. I've had a message just on the phone from uh, Tim Sampson, yeah. a friend of, friend of the show, saying, G'day, John, the Mount Spurgeon pine, pine the, yeah. from Nobody's, uh is actually available now on the diggers' site. They've, the diggers have listed it as a, uh, a plant oh, in their catalogue. Oh, it it seems a slightly odd choice for the diggers' club, but good well, on the, them. I mean, they're, they're getting into 
the Diggers Club are getting into all manner of interesting yeah. um, native trees, mm. <clears throat> a whole bunch of trees, oaks and uh, you know trees from across the globe. But a lot of, uh, of the sort of East Coast broadleafed evergreen rainforest things mm. um, as, as, as good garden plants. Yeah, well, yeah. why not indeed? I think it's fantastic. You know, so look, our... Personal example of Promnopodies is that it's working in Cranbourne, yeah, and in, at Macedon, and at Macedon. So, so if it's working at Cranbourne not? and Macedon, it's going to yeah. work in most other places. It's yeah. a pity that they're not. I mean, I love our gum trees, but I love our rainforest flora as well. It's yeah. a pity, and yeah, it's weird that it grows in those two different regions really well. It just yeah. says that it's how are they not and it's still surprising. the dominant tree? I mean, yeah. A lot of the rainforest stuff, whether it be Tasmanian cold rainforest or even further north into New South Wales and Queensland. Surprising how adaptable a lot of those plants are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I can grow, certainly I can grow the Tasmanian stuff. That's not, that's a given, I guess. Mm. Um, But I've got quite a few things that come from further north. Uh, I've got a thing called... Cutsia. Cutsia viburnia. viburnia um, grows beautifully for me at Macedon. It's Gorgeous thing. Tough as bilio, great big leathery leaves. Dare I say it looks completely unnative ish? It's called, the common name is the native hydrangea. Yeah, because it's got a look about it that yes, sort of I would push it in that direction. Yep. Um, I've got. Um, uh, Anopterus macleanus yep. from further north yep. that's doing reasonably well in the nursery. Uh, I've got Paphia meniana from yep. Queensland growing well. One of our rhododendrons from northern Queensland doing really doing well. Really well yeah. mm. um, it's surprising what you can grow. Oh, mm. there's a bunch of Aliacarpus yep. that not just the reticulatus, which is in the Victorian flora. There's a bunch of really interesting Aliacarpus. Um, Tell well, you what, you, New Caledonia's got some fabulous ones of those <laughs> yeah, too. Oh, do they? Oh, wow. They've got flowers sort of almost the size of an azalea. With and, the frilly petals? Yeah, with the frilly petals. And, oh. and they come up as a single trunk uh, and then they just have a few branches and then they have these long spikes that come out with the flowers sitting oh, along them. spectacular. Absolutely gorgeous. Do they, and do they get the big berries on them too? I assume so. I didn't see them in fruit. Mm. I only saw them in flower, but um, I assume they would. While, while we're talking Aliacarpus, it, this blew my little brain. I was in, in New Zealand and having a look at something that looked like looked like Catonia, Carochia catoniaster, yeah. this little fine-leaf divericate thing, uh, and someone said it was an Aliacarpus and had this label <laughs> on it. Actually, it was in the Botanic Garden. It was yeah. uh, at the Wellington, but had a label, Aliacarpus, and I thought, oh, they got that wrong. <laughs> um, and it, 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 it goes for this process called... Uh, heterodont, heterodont, change in form. Yeah. Ah. New Zealand flora does that in so many different genera. It's amazing. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ah. So, Completely unrelated plants have all picked up the same characteristic. Yeah, yeah. Um, heteroblasty. Yes. So juvenile foliage and old foliage. Here's this thing that looks like a catonia, like little fine, wiry, and once it gets above a certain height, it turns into a broadleafed evergreen rainforest tree. Bloom you know why they do that? Because they didn't have browsing mammals in New Zealand. They had browsing birds. birds. So oh. they had the giant mowers. And birds peck. They don't graze. And so if you've got little devericated branches and tiny leaves, it makes it harder for the mower to eat you. So, oh. And so lots of plants did it. <laughs> they did. So it goes, the mower would come along and go, oh, oh, I'm yeah, not going to get much out of that. <laughs> I'll go for that cordialine over there <laughs> or, or, or something. But they get above pecking height. Yeah, and then off oh. they go. This. Oh, there's a really funky um, Galapagos plant that's done that. 
there's, it's in a David. It's one in one of the David Attenborough plant mm. documentaries. And Kew Gardens was they've been trying to grow it. They couldn't get seed. They had this weird thing in the nursery. And they're like, what is what this? Is this thing? And then it finally got to a certain height, and it and started looking it like the records that they had. Yeah. But yeah. the juvenile form was completely, completely different. A lot of New Zealand plants were actually put in different genera. Yeah. The juvenile form right. from the adult form because they were so different when they were first discovered, they just automatically assumed that was one genus of plants and that's another one. And it was just the juvenile form. So, but New Zealand. Something like 20% of the New Zealand flora do this divarication. Yeah. The, 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 it's the, fascinating. It is incredible. Oh, the other thing they do is they go brown. Yeah, a lot of them have brownish that's foliage when they. the Galapagos one was doing yeah, too. Because birds don't see brown so well as they see green. Oh. And so, the mowers probably couldn't see the tiny little brown leaves. <laughs> Terribly well, and that's what protected a lot of their plants. Pseudo, pseudo oh, panax, yeah, they're classic thing. examples yeah. of that sort of um, tiny little yeah. wire. Well, not tiny, but long, thin, serrated, rough, yeah, tough, browny, black. Yeah, they, even. they spend most of their life looking dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they get to a certain height, and they'll turn into a broadleaf evergreen rainforest tree. It's just fascinating. So, yeah, it does make your mind to go a little <laughs> bit does. weird, doesn't it? it uh, does. I mean, nature's just such a wonderful thing. And that's what – I guess that's what's kept me excited by plants my whole life is the fact that I know that there's so many amazing things out there I just don't know about yet. Oh, yeah, for yeah. You know, sure. And so there's always a new thing to learn about um, uh, and, you know, some wonderful things like New Zealand devarication, for instance, sake, which uh, – you know, people just don't know about, mm. and it's really, really fascinating. Really fascinating. We had Emma Bod- Emma um, Simpkins call in from the Auckland Auckland Botanic Gardens a couple of weeks ago, and I said, "Next time you're in Melbourne, lady, you're coming on to, yeah, to well, the gardening show." So I'm going to get her talking well, about. She'll be that. here for the Global Congress. She is. Yeah. I need, when I do the roster, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she needs to come in whether she wants to or not. Well, yeah. uh, exactly. Uh, so shout out to. Um, RBGV, Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, is actually hosting the global, the seventh Global Botanic Garden Congress from the 25th to the 29th of September 2022. Was meant to happen in 2020, wasn't it? It was it's been supposed cancelled to happen in 2020, times. got cancelled. 2021 yeah. got cancelled, but we're... Doing we're it. Up and ready. We're for up it. and ready, yeah, and we've yeah, got fantastic. 100 registrations already from all over the globe. So people, like, like you were saying earlier, Chloe, people are, are travelling again. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, everyone, you are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. We've been talking... Gondwanan plants <laughs> and rainforesty plants. This morning I have John Arnott from the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, and Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Emma Hurd is here as well helping us out. The phone lines are open. I'm sorry for it being so late, but we've had a few good text messages come in, so thank you for that. The phone number is O... F- uh, not O. It's <laughs> no- Google. 9... Google. Oh, <laughs> Oh, rest in oh, peace, no. Barlow. Yeah. That was my favourite ad as a child. No, no. Gorgo Mobile. I got a problem with my Gorgo Mobile. <laughs> you what? Dearie me. Sorry, That's all right. The number 94190155 if you want to chat to us on air. If you don't want to chat to us on air, uh, the girls in the, uh, in, the, in the phone studio can send us through a message, so don't be shy. Uh, the text message line is 0488 809 855. We are on Facebook and Instagram under the 3CR Gardening Show Insta and Facebook handles. If you miss the start of the show, you can podcast. You can catch our podcast on any of the podcasting apps. Uh, the show goes directly to uh, the 3CR website as well as soon as we finish, so you can catch it. 
at 9.15 on Sunday morning. Any questions, any photos that you want to send in to us, our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. Hey, Chloe, just on a, on a sad note, um, oh, yes. Valet, uh, a great friend of 3CR, Kevin Walsh, passed away recently. Um, it was last Tuesday, I think. It was last Tuesday, yeah. yeah. Now, Kevin, uh, he hasn't been on the show for a, maybe a couple of years or mm. a, a, a little while, recent times, but, um, you know, Kevin spent hundreds of hours in this studio talking talking plants. He was one of the great horticultural communicators. Mm-hmm. He I'm was getting, a great speaker. Garden clubs <clears throat> loved him. Yeah. He was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting a bit emotional just thinking about, about Kev. Um, yeah. yeah, and he wasn't an elderly gentleman no. by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not quite sure what age Kevin was, but I'd be really surprised if he was older than I am. Um, yeah, yeah, Eve. If, yeah. I'm not so, saying that you're an yeah, old man. But, well, um, I'm getting old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, let's be honest. You know, I had this superannuation people get in touch with me the other day to find out whether I was still employed. Um, so you, you do start to notice you know, your age a little yeah. bit. But no, Kevin was a great guy. For um, people that don't know Kevin, what was his jam in the horticulture industry? All right. Well, he one of the things he did for quite a number of years, which was in the more recent times, was he was in charge of a lot of the uh, horticulture at the Melbourne cemeteries. Yeah. So he he was managing horticulture, I think he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so he was, you know, managing weedy species, managing rare – because some of our cemeteries have actually got rare Victorian um, remnant plants growing really, in them that have to be looked after. Really and do. he was in charge of all of that for quite some years. He all, not only did radio here, but he did radio in Bendigo with the ABC station in Bendigo. He did for, that for, for years. years. Um, and, in fact, I stepped into his boots when he'd uh, – moved back to Melbourne to do the cemetery thing, uh, they were looking for somebody to take over the morning program up in Bendigo, and I did that for quite a long time as well. Um, and his last thing he did was to review the uh, the uh, Carlton Gardens uh, plan. Master plan. Master plan. So that right. was the last thing he worked on was to review the master plan, make sure everything was in place, ready to go, and all that sort of stuff. So he's, he dabbled in lots of different things. He did a lot of landscape design work up around Castlemaine. Um, he, um, he was probably not one of – he was one of the first to talk about um, – Sustainable gardening, low water horticulture. Yeah, he did write a very good book on uh, low water gardening, gardening. water wise gardening, which is well worth looking at. That is one of the best. It is low Mm. water use gardening books around, and and one of the first. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Yeah. so yeah, so he was well printed as well. So yeah, a very great loss to horticulture. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Farley. KW. Yep. Yep. Nice guy too. Just a lovely, lovely, genuine, genuine person yep so very sad sad. thanks kevin for your contributions and thank you to you both for talking about him well we we needed to he he needed to be acknowledged all right a couple more text messages come in uh mari from newport um about the monarch breeders they don't have a name they're just local enthusiasts (laughs) i I think they should be called the the wanderers yeah Yeah, the williamstown wanderers the williamstown the willy wanderers Nothing Come on, like Murray, a bit of alliteration, I've always said. <laughs> oh, All right. Another text message. Does anyone know if there are any Barclia syringifolia growing in public gardens in Melbourne or Victoria? Melbourne Zoo? Yeah. Has got a Barclia syringifolia. There's, mm. uh, I think there's a couple at the RBG Melbourne. In the... Now, Melbourne have 
a list. Can you can people access the, the census? Yeah, you can, yeah, you can go online it. and you can look, and I think you can even pinpoint where the plant exactly. is. It's called Living Plant Census. Census. Ah. RBGV well, Melbourne Gardens. Yeah. Yep. Plant yeah. So you could go in and and type that in, and it would show you where in the gardens it's growing. So you could go and visit it. Mm. But Barclia, it's again another one of those East Coast rainforest species. It's a pea flower. <clears throat> in nature, it makes quite a big tree, but in cultivation, it's it's a beautiful rounded. Um, it's a actually a really beautiful um, evergreen rainforest. There's tree. a small population at the back of Listerfield or something of Barclia. Barclia, I think. Who mm. is there? I think oh, I have a feeling that um, Matt and Russell from. Cranburn Gardens might have collected some material. Let me just Google that. I could be thinking of another plant. <laughs> yeah, let me just Please Google, Google that because I could be thinking of a totally different plant. Yeah. Uh, John Bentley has uh, messaged in saying Kevin Walsh did the planting plan for the Mediterranean Garden at the Melbourne at the Melton Botanic oh, Gardens. Yeah. yeah, he did a lot of that sort of work, so yep. there was a lot of interesting work being done. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, Getting um, anywhere, John? I, I, I am very, very slowly. <laughs> uh, no, Queensland, New South Wales. Okay, I'm completely uh, so it's got to be something plant. else, Chloe. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah. The um, phone lines are open, guys. Uh, we're running through until quarter past nine today. So if you want to give us a call, they're up and running, 94190155. You might be thinking of Grevillea... Barclayana. Thank you. That's it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a different group of plants, but there you go. But a similar name. Oh, yeah, yes, you're, you're excused. Uh, Thank named, you. Named after Mr. or Mrs. Barclay, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, um, sounds like it. Yeah. I want to tell you guys, I went to, and I hate to admit it, for the very first time the other day, um, Werribee Park Mansion yeah. and Ripper. surrounds, and was my little head was blown away oh, again yeah. by... I can't swear on air, by the specimen trees <laughs> in the gardens yeah. there. Mm. And a, these some of, a lot of these plants that we've been talking about this morning in the Araucaria group. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. Like yeah. the Araucaria bidwillii, the bunya bunya Yeah, they've pines, got a big one down there. They're, they're almost, because of the, the soil there, they're almost a little bit, they look like yeah, they're a bit stompy. squished. Yeah. They're stompy. Yeah. They're like, oh, they're bubbly and... Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. And not candelabra-like, but there was one particular bunya pine specimen. The branches were really long, very, very, you know, lateral. Mm. And then they just had this puff of the Jurassic-type foliage on the end and a really, really lumpy trunk. Mm. And it was absolutely spectacular. Oh, they're they're wonderful trees. Actually, if you ever go up to Bright... There is yeah. a dead-end little road that runs up to, I think it's the oh. football ground, and along the side of that road are bunya pines that apparently were supplied by Von Mueller, but, you know, who knows, uh, and they are truly amazing. It's like elephants' feet all the way along that road, <laughs> and I can't imagine trying to garden in one of the gardens next to that <laughs> avenue of trees because it would be so dark in living in any of those houses along there, but they're amazing. And possibly quite dangerous at certain times of the yes. year when they're producing fruit because yeah. the I mean, the well, fruit. who was the famous dendrologist who said that the way he wanted to die was to be hit by a <laughs> by a bunya cone, <laughs> which which is quite a you know, quite an appropriate way of going out as a horticulturalist. Because I mean, they, they're much bigger than a footy. Yeah. like they're and they're yeah. heavy and as they're, like they're they're watermelon size, yeah. like yeah. good size watermelon size, yeah. heavy as anything, coming from fifteen meters up in the air at nine point eight meters per second per second per bang. <laughs> <laughs> They fence them off. The, the Melbourne Gardens do it. Every yeah. public garden that yeah. has, um, which oh, is yes. a, it's a bad choice because it's usually around 
playgrounds as well. Actually, can I and say something really inappropriate? Oh, that was Nearly a every life. one of the old what were called lunatic asylums, Kew um, Cottages, uh, Mayday Hill up at um, Beechworth, yep. all those places have huge big monkey uh, or bunyip pines. <laughs> and I don't know whether it was to get rid of clients or to create new ones. <laughs> But why would you plant those things in an institutional garden like that? They were just, they were obviously so popular at that time. Fashionable. Because every old homestead you Mm. drive past in. Victoria, southeastern Australia, yeah, has, has a bunya pine. Yeah. The house is falling apart. The bunya pine is. Booming. And it's interesting because very, very few, generalisation, very few Australian native plants were grown in, in, in that early. Yeah, they weren't. They pushed the bush days. over and then planted a European style garden. But there were bunyas, mm. uh, figs. Mm. Um, well, and of course, Norfolk or, Island or vines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm. all those things were they became popular, they became popular. Um, because they were so exotic looking. Yeah, they yeah. weren't just scrubbish, no. bushy things. Mm. They were really, they were, they were really true noble. Yeah. yeah. Back to Werribee, um, mm. the Werribee Mansion. I mean, I agree, Chloe. It's it's it it, it is a, a botanic garden in its own right. It's a yeah. it, it's one of the great public gardens in Melbourne. It is. They also run an, an extraordinary volunteer program um, where they're tapping into local um, uh, the local community. There's a a, a Curran community. Um, oh yes, I've the, seen something about the Curran community yeah. there with their vegetable gardens. Their vegetable gardens, yeah. Mm. yeah. And the Curran community are from uh, Myanmar, uh, uh, refugee community, uh, sent. Uh, with a lot of people living in in in, in Werribee, and they're agriculturists, horticulturists. Their their traditional roots are hands in the soil, um, and that volunteer they, they're looking after. They've got a whole patch, uh, a vegetable garden, which is dedicated to that to to, to that community that they manage it. Mm. Remarkable, the 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 social the the social contract, the social benefits, the uh, of inviting that community in. Giving them a patch and allowing folks to yeah, the simple act, simple act of gardening has transformed people's lives. Mm. It's magnificent. Afghani community are doing the same. So there's this incredible um, uh, volunteer program, community garden program, uh, which is happening. It's happening to the side, so you don't really see that uh, in, in a general visit yeah. to the Werribee Mansion. Be- but James Brinkat, he's the kind of the manager of, uh, of that. That's he's yeah he's he initiated that and. Um, he's actually speaking about it at the Global Botanic Garden Congress. Buy a ticket, everyone. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Everyone. Yeah, it, There's sort of two other commu- um, volunteer aspects to the Werribee Mansion area. And the State Garden is run by... The State Rose Garden. The State Rose Garden is run by volunteers, yep. uh, which is looking... It's actually looking really good for this time of year for roses yep. at the moment. But Emma Heard was telling me just before we went on air that the orchard... Is yeah, okay. that they've got a really big orchard full of heritage mm. fruit trees right. that's got a quite a strong volunteer group that looks after it and runs pruning and grafting workshops, which is fabulous Fantastic. at certain times of year as well. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and we have advertised for grafting and pruning workshops on the show before. Cool. Run down there. So, and the other lovely thing that that um, the Werribee Mansion do the, their parterre garden, which mm. is an annual display um, over the winter months, is full of. Uh, um, vegetables, leaf, yes. leafy green vegetables. Yeah. 
uh, spinach and uh, all, so there's, all, all I can tell you there's kale silver there beet. at the moment, kale. silver yeah. beet. I yeah. think there was some beetroot. Yep. Kale. A couple of different types of kale. Yeah. Yep. And all of that is donated um, at the, the, the crop. I'm so glad that they harvest it. because they harvest it and, 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 and donate it. Potager gardens? Is that yeah. what they call that yeah. style of party food plants? The world's best one plants? is Villandre in France. I think Monty Don's been there. Yeah, he yeah. has been. Everybody's been Everyone's to Villandre. Everyone's been there. But, but do I've they harvest di- it there? No. I, a, I've heard several whoa. different stories about Villandre. Oh. But they pump it so full of chemicals to keep <laughs> all of their plants in such pristine condition oh. as a display. Yeah. I'm not sure anybody would want to eat the vegetables out so of the laundry. They're, they're treating them very ornamentally. Yeah, they're it's, using it's them as an ornamental, ornamental display. Thing. Not, and they'd be quick to grow and easy yeah. to grow and yeah. cheap to get hold of the seed and all yeah, that. Although considering that they plant something like 300,000 seedlings a year at Villandre. Um, it's, it's not still, cheap. It's, yeah, but it costs a lot to go in and have a look. So <laughs> I guess they, they get paid for it one way or another. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention my favourite yearly plant that I bought in, um, which of course is the winter sweet. Kimonanthus praecox. Oh, uh, and it's one of the oh. world's most evocative perfumes. Oh, That's a thing. This it's, plant. it's not overbearing. It's got this wonderful sort of complex spicy fragrance. I mean, you put me in a room with some jasmine or daphne and I want to throw up um, <laughs> because the perfumes are overpowering and cloying. Yep. Uh, whereas winter sweet, my plant would be four metres tall by four metres wide. Um, and it's just off my veranda, and when I walk down the veranda, it almost lifts me off my feet. It's a, waft. it's a waft, isn't it? I get it, mm. this waft of the most incredible perfume. But I have to say, I've just been doing some filming on it with uh, my offsider Matthew for our YouTube channel, and we did the filming last week, and it hadn't really picked up its perfume yet. Okay. And I'm going on about how, how good this, this is. thing is. <laughs> and Matthew's going, yeah, can't I go and I don't get what you're on about. This doesn't seem very scented to me. Um, but it is. It's one of the great perfumes. Uh, it's a big bush. You need to allow it room. Mm. Uh, it doesn't do a lot at other times of the year. Its leaves are all it, right, but it's not exciting. not the most exciting plant, except uh, when it's in flower. You'd argue that it, it, it it's a little bit... Uh, well, it's unremarkable. Yeah, yeah. It is. I was going to in call fact, it something also, other, but that wouldn't be fair it, for the it, it poor is old Shimonathus. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Very sticky yeah. and gawky. Um, but you know, they build pagodas under which to sit and smell the winter sweet when it's in flower in China. I mean, you know, it's one of those iconic plants. They are. They are a patience plant as well because they take a few years to flower yeah. when now, they're young. Therein is a real issue because they're usually raised from seed in this country and seedlings can take 10 to 14 ah. years to flower and there's no guarantee of colour and there's no guarantee <laughs> of perfume. So, yeah, so <laughs> if they were propagated vegetatively from yeah. an older plant, you're likely to get it flower and quicker. There is a variety called Lutea which has slightly larger flowers and much richer yellow and is well scented. Okay. Uh, it is in the country. I know of at least a couple of specimens of it. But unfortunately, Kimonanthus is really hard to propagate from cuttings. Is that right? Yeah, seed is very easy. Cuttings are really hard. Some of the literature suggests layering, but layering is a very slow process commercially, yeah. and you get very little back at the end of your whole exercise. Uh, I would love to be able to sell vegetatively propagated luteas yeah. to mm. people. Uh, all I can sell to people are seedlings uh, with a hope and a promise. Yeah. Um, because I remember Pam Vardy, dear Pam, who's been you know on the panel here yeah. for I don't know how many years Pam did it, but anyhow... Uh, 
you know, retired now and possibly listening this morning. So good morning, Pam. Hi, Pam, Pam planted one years ago, and I used to bring bits of this in every year, and Pam would look at me as if well, it was a daggery look, really, because <laughs> uh, she'd planted one that she'd had in for 10 or 15 years, yep. and it never flowered. And when it eventually did, it was pale and insipid and no scent. Oh, bugger. You know, so that can happen to you. So you've got to be prepared to take some risks so- with it. Or or get it from someone that knows how to grow it properly. Yeah, well, because I I had one in one I had one in for maybe about five or six years yeah. in Mum and Dad's garden, and it was in I didn't put it in the right spot, but it was growing fine. I was like, I ended up pulling it out because it never flowered. Yeah. But I probably need to wait another year or two. Yeah, yeah, you were probably <laughs> the year before it was I going yeah, to flower. I actually b- believe I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But it is one of those, one of the world's iconic winter scents. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can keep your Daphnes, you can keep all sorts of other things. If I had room for only one thing in my garden for its winter perfume, it would be Gymnanthus. It. It'd have to be this plant. Um, and I just love it for... And, I mean, it's flowering for ages. I mean, it's it started flowering about two weeks ago. Um, I'll still have perfume flowers on it at the end of July. Nice. Maybe mm. even later. Um, so I think that does sort of pay its way a bit. And just a couple of sprigs of it in a vase in the house. Beautiful. The perfume wafts everywhere. Especially if the house is a bit warmer because yeah. they do – the scent sort of rises as yeah. the day warms up. Yeah. So it is, it is a wonderful plant. Mm. But it's not for the the uh, impatient gardener, and it's probably not for the tiny garden. Although, having said that, my old editor, long gone, Vida Horn, had a little house in Turak that the front garden was about a metre wide, and the back garden was basically concrete with a little tiny bed that ran around the edge. And there was a kimonanthus growing on the back fence that had grown up and completely enclosed the whole garden. Wow. There was no room for anything else. It was huge. I'm wow. assuming when she passed away that new owners would have come in and watched that and Maybe suck it as well. No, it didn't know. seem to. Just she, she just kept it trimmed up. Wow. Uh, and when it was in flower in the middle of winter, the perfume must have covered the whole block. Yeah. It was just amazing. I've mm. never seen anything quite as big. Uh, so they can get quite large. So, But in England, they often grow it as a wall shrub, which is another hint. Yeah, well, they're, pr- they're definitely prunable. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, she'd espalier it against a wall. Nice. Uh, that would show off the flowers very well yeah. as well. Uh, so in a smaller garden, growing it as an espalier might be a consideration. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah cool. Why not? Guys, we have a caller. Oh, uh, good morning to Robert from Mitchum. Are you joining us for Chimonanthus chat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> good morning, all. Morning. But, uh, we've got uh, two Chimonanthus that uh, I've had for many, many, many years, and they show no sign of flowering. Yeah, and when you say many, many, many years, how many, 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 many years is it, do you think? Uh, well, I'm in the 80s, and I reckon we've had these for about uh, 15, 20 years. Oh, well, oh. I think you've been dudded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's an excessive time to have them in the garden. Are they getting plenty of sunlight? They may not be getting enough light to really flower well. That's another issue with them. They do need a fair bit of direct sunlight. Uh, But I would have said after 15 years that I'd have given up by then. But uh, um, I do applaud you for your patience and and determination and tenacity and so forth. Um, But, yeah, they they say 10 to 14 years as the classic. (laughs) 
Anything we can do to try and speed it along? No. Um, I mean, you can try throwing some potash around. That might have an impact. Mm. But, light. but, you know, that's about all I can suggest you do. But it's sounding to me like they're also not probably getting enough light. So unless you can lift the canopies or open the canopies of the trees in your garden, they're probably not going to get enough light to really perform well anyway. Mm. That's all right, because we had, had a, a memory of a, a lovely one up in uh, up in Ballarat that stood there about 10 foot tall and about 3 foot wide and had a magnificent perfume. Yeah, oh, absolutely wonderful plant. It, um, it is one of those plants that evokes memories. Oh, it yeah. does. Yeah. I can smell it from a distance and all sorts of memories come back. I smelled that then and I was at the Melbourne Zoo 1982 when I yeah. first discovered it. Yeah, as a thing. Yeah, it had been there for years. Yeah, I'm back at TAFE. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah. They they take everybody yeah. back. Um, it is one of those very evocative plants. But I'm sorry, we can't Robert, be any. It help might with be you. worth trying getting another one and planting it in a sunnier spot if you can. Well. See if you can get a ten-year-old one. Yeah, get an get an old one. Maybe <coughs> Stephen, do you have? No, them? I've only oh, got yeah. young ones. I never have them long oh. enough to grow them on into bigger sizes. There used to be a grower in the Dandenongs who used to row them out in the paddock, and he grew them up to about a meter and a half tall and flowered them. Right. And I could buy them from him bare rooted in flower, and that's where my plant came from because right. I was able to select one that was in flower. Uh, I could see that I had a good scent, uh, that I had a reasonably good yellow flower, mm. uh, and I planted that and that's what I got but he stopped doing it because he put a whole he put hundreds of them in to grow on for another crop and the rabbits came through and oh, cleaned the whole lot out right. so he never did it again yeah. unfortunately but that's, a, that's, a, that's a good technique yeah, yeah. it is it's a great way Robert, of doing it Robert treat yourself to a new one and see how you go I think it's worth it I think it's worth it with this plant it is yeah. any amount of effort is worth it thanks Robert. for calling catch soon thank you very much bye, bye. a uh, couple of other text messages have come in um uh, Jill from East Brighton says she's loving the show, transported by our conversation. Thank you very much, Jill. Uh, and John Bentley said uh, the Melton Botanic Gardens uh, now has a garden explorer app, so you can they you can look up the plants and see where they are. Yeah, yeah. so Melton is doing that as well, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, that's really and good. they've got a wonderful collection out there. Awesome collection. Yeah, so it's definitely worthwhile going out to Melton. Um, and another another text message come in from um, Nicola in Altham. Her grandfather had a ginkgo fossil that he found in a road cutting near Gosford. Awesome. Yeah. Is yeah. ginkgo a native? No. Well, we, we could be reintroducing a native. It depends on your yeah. attitude to what a native is. I know. This is a great debate. Yeah, because re- reunite, re- reunite Pangea. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, in some ways the argument is going the opposite direction in some places. I mean, in England they talk about new natives. Okay. You know, there's plants that are so well entrenched. And, and when you think about it, the Romans brought in plants. Everybody sure. has brought in plants to England over the years. If they hadn't done that, they'd have a fairly imported um, flora, flora mm. because they were wiped out by the last ice age. Yeah. Um, and so they now sort of accept plants that are not, strictly speaking, native, but are so well entrenched into their flora now yeah. that they might as well. Yeah. And almost, so they have new na- natives. Almost naturalised. Yeah. Things. And, mm. you know, and I mean, you know, lots of things that they think of as native in England were actually brought in by the Romans. I believe snowdrops came in with the Romans. Possibly the um, sycamore came in with the Romans. Right. Uh, so quite a number of iconic yeah. British trees, British trees yeah. aren't really truly native anyway. Mm. See, the, the thing with ginkgo, uh, it, it's, you would call it, um, as, a, as a fossil flora, pan-tropical, it occurred yeah. everywhere on yeah. planet Earth. It, it restricted and restricted and restricted and restricted down to – it was thought to almost be extinct in the wild. 
you know, and there was a, a single population in China. Um, so, you know, as a as a species, it nearly disappeared yeah, off planet Earth. Well, Woolamai was getting close as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look, formally it was of the global flora, mm. um, but its natural distribution, if, you, if you're talking about in modern, being modern native. times, being mm. native, na- natural distribution mm. is a tiny little dot in mm. China. So, so we're not so reintroducing no. a native necessarily. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd say no, but it, it, it has that ancient lineage back to the globe. It's mm. a thought-provoking. It's concept. a nice. It, no, it's, it's a, a good really question. Cool it's a fun. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fun proposition. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What time period are you talking about? Uh, well, no, with, with with what you call something a native or not? With with the yeah. ginkos. So. I, I think it's if it, if it's extant, if it exists, yeah, if it's, it exists currently exists, or yeah. yes. Yeah. And then I you know. can say, I, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of like a grumpy old guy. Poo poo that idea. Bugger you, John. We're calling you Ginkgo native, <laughs> yeah. and that's it. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> hey, can, can we switch from the Shimonathus, which, which has got a gorgeous scent, mm. um, to Typhonium? Can, can we get to it in a minute? There's something, there's something I really have to do. Of course. This, the, the last two weeks, is Radiothon fundraising for 3CR yep. for the station. It's, it's how the station runs for the for the next 12 months the donations that come in um through the various programs that are on the station yep. uh the gardening show we have our radiothon next sunday so be prepared to buy up all your gardening products for the next 12 months next week beautiful um i've got a little uh ad to yeah. play good um so let's all silence ourselves for a moment <laughs> Hi gardeners, get ready to turn on and tune in to The Gardening Show's annual Radiothon. It all takes place on Sunday the 26th of June from 7.30 till 10am when you can help keep your favourite gardening show on air. As usual, we'll have great deals on seeds, organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and of course new and used green focused book titles or simply make a tax deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio and The Gardening Show. Please dig deep for the 2022 3CR Gardening Radiothon 7.30 till 10am on Sunday the 26th of June. It's going to be – it is one of the biggest days of the year for the gardening yeah, show. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge morning. AB and the team at 3CR have been collecting donations, like, voraciously for the last month or so. We've got some really cool stuff this year. So we always have the usual sea salt products, OCP mm. products. We've got food com- – or FUD, whatever <laughs> you say – compost bags. Uh, there's – but we've also had some fantastic donations from some of our, our own panellists. Stephen, this morning you've given me some gift vouchers yep. for the nursery. Uh, Jane Tonkin is doing a, a tour on a date in October, I think, um, around her nursery. Oh, I fantastic. believe there will be alcohol involved. Oh, how does that happen? <laughs> we've had a donation. It's donat- a horticultural byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've, had, we've, we've had some amazing donations come in. So Grampians Good Co. has donated um, one of their recycled woolen rugs. We've had – we've got um, lots of other little things too. So some um, – uh, what do we call them? Essential oils from Pure mm. Oils of Tasmania. Um, Shioke and Sage have donated some of their candles. Uh, 
Greg Boulderston is going to do a fungi, again, an organised date in July, I think, right. a fungi tour up around yeah, somewhere up around in the Macedon. Macedon ranges, yeah. Uh, and we've had some other – we've had a lot of books donated. Penny's donated one of her books. Millie Ross has donated a couple of hers. AB has as well. So – and there's some other, like, fun things to do, some more vouchers and all that. So it, the gardening show is one of the biggest fundraisers for the station. Right. Um, and we'll have a we'll have a big target on the day right. and, you know, everyone yeah. really – Hit it, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've uh- – I approached our marketing folks, so I reckon there might be a bit of RBGV stuff to still come in. Right. And yeah. one Good. of those was the, the history of the Friends book. The Friends uh, turned 30 this year, which is yeah. their 30th anniversary. The Friends. Uh, and we did offer offer up a behind-the-scenes tour with um, uh, possibly possibly me and a, or another horticulturist. Yeah. So I think that's going to land. 30 years? Is it 30 years? 30 years of the Friends of the I can remember Cranbourne going Gardens. down to Cranbourne when it was just a few sand hills and yeah. there was basically nothing there. We went down, I think I was, I was either a student with Oakley Tech or I was a, a, I went down and tutored for a little while after I finished my course and I can't remember whether it was one side or the other and we went down and we were talking about the possibilities. But yes. You know, and that was it. Yeah. it. It doesn't seem like 30 years it's ago. Ex- well, I have to gazump you there. The Mount Macedon Horticultural Society turns 100 this year. So, <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic. Yeah. A I just got effort. a tree the other day. We're going to plant a very rare oak as a commemorative tree Perfect. on Arbor Day in July um, uh, at our rooms yep. uh, at Mount Macedon. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we're putting in a tree to commemorate awesome. 100 years, terrific, which good. I think is great because garden clubs are really important. Yeah, they are. They are. And I'm going to have we to had, go in a couple of minutes. You do have to go. We've had a text message come in from uh, no name, but um, just talking about the amount of local nurseries that are starting to close down and oh, the yeah. importance of um, saving them. So Banksia Nursery has recently closed at Christmas last year in Monterna. <laughs> Presty Nursery in Ferntree Gully is closing down. They've all been open since the 60s and Pinewood Nursery as well. So yep. it's so important. And, and this is so many of the panellists that we have on the gardening show are local specialist nurseries. Specialist nurseries. Yep. Like yours, Craig Wilson, yeah. um, Jane Tonkin as well. And we need to support them. And I have no doubt that our listeners are the type of gardeners that do support well, these I would hope so. I get yeah. a little annoyed when you go into the social media and there's people saying, oh, I bought this at one of those big barns and it was on the specials table. How do I bring it back from death? And I think, well, why didn't you just leave it there to die? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, gardening's about things flourishing and growing and enjoying and, yep. you know. Uh, Diversity. Yeah, and yeah. planting something you've never grown before just to see what it'll do. Diversity. You know, I yeah. really think that's really important. All right, I've got to go because just, I... Just, just before you go, Steve, I did come bearing gifts yeah. mm. uh, and uh, there are four potted plants Ooh. here for, 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 All right. for your, so your collection. All right, so they're going back to my nursery to be loved, cared for and yep. hopefully distributed, is, yep. which is what it's all about. Yeah, yep, for sure. Mm. Um, uh, this will be fun off... Off, off. You'll be off here. Yeah, um, and so <laughs> you can talk say anything about, about me you like. <laughs> <laughs> I will be listening on the way down to Geelong. <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, please take these. All right, so, fantastic. Yep. Yes, yeah, so I'm off to Geelong. We're having an event for um, Plant Trust, of which I'm president. Uh, we have two or three um, excursions a year. So this morning we're doing a walk around the Geelong Gardens. Right. Then we're going off to see Sue Alo at 
Lovely Banks. We're Brilliant. going to see her Halo collection. And then we're going to spend some time with Lyle at Rorama Nursery awesome. in Lara, oh, which I always love. It's the most fabulous place. It and is. he's such a great guy. I love yeah. Lyle Check, check out the, um, the Oricaria collection mm. at Geelong because there's, there's actually really good Oricaria. Yeah. Cle- My phone will be busy this morning taking photographs <laughs> of all <laughs> that stuff because yeah, yeah. I know that uh, Alistair Watt and others have been supplying some yeah. pretty interesting stuff really to interesting the Geelong stuff. Garden. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. And those steel sculptures out the front of the 21st Century oh, Garden, yes. they are an abstraction of uh, New, Caledon- New Caledonian Oricarius. Well, there you go. There you go. See, how, how, how um, apropos it was this morning to be yeah. talking about those <laughs> yes. things. All right, I'm good off and away. Have I'll see everybody trip. in uh, a fortnight, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I've got everything. All right, bye all. John, we were going to talk about um, the potocarpus before that you brought in, so let's let's keep oh, going yeah, with the, that. The potocarp. The, yeah, you can that, talk about it without me being here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which is it, now Makes being, a grand entrance, makes a grand exit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. He's very Bye. grand. Bye. Um, it's being gifted to uh, Stephen Ryan and the, and the property. It's potocarpus uh, Lorenziana. Yep. But it's a particular form from um, a place called Goon Merck Rocks uh, in... East Kipland, up on the Erinundra Plateau. Ah, right. Um, Potocarpus, this particular Potocarpus, it's it's typically sort of subalpine, just above the tree line, as a a, a low-spreading shrub Mm. um, in that sort of subalpine heath. There's this single population at Goonmerk Rocks in forest where it's a tree. It's a tree form. It's an upright tree form. Uh, And that's the form that we've just gifted to to Stephen. So it's actually... It's Potocarpus F, so it's yet to be described, but it's very. It was lumped into that broad mm-hmm. Potocarpus lunisiana group. It does have the similar foliage colour, and I, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I thought it was when you bought it in this yes, morning. Yes, that, that little low, low sprawling yeah. one, or the sprawling spreading one. Mm. No, this one will shoot upright mm. as a as a tree, as a small tree. Right. So still on the Potocarpus, we've got some Potocarpus elatus planted on campus, which nice. is the Black the plum? plum, the brown pine. Brown pine. Um, plum pine is another plum, name for it. Yeah, brown plum pine. <laughs> Just smush it all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the teachers that I work with has used the inverted commas fruit, fruit yep. uh, in muffins. Oh, really? So I, I wish I knew the proper botanical terms. It's a... It, yeah, it's I'll, not I'll, a true fruit, obviously, because f- they're a gymnosperm. Right. They don't produce fruits. But it has like a swollen part. One part of the cone, Do you want to look it up? please, becomes swollen, and it is a literal blueberry. Yeah, so it's a. F- it's not. There's it's separate- not a fruit because it hasn't got a seed in it. Yes, is that right? Yeah. yeah, there's separate male and female plants, and it's the female. It's. Fleshy fruit stems. A fleshy so fruit. So it's a modified stem. Modified stem. Yeah. Um, it's a modified stem. And they, they're they a beautiful, they're just this yummy little, well, it looks like a blueberry. Yeah. And they're about the size of a blueberry, really good ones. And uh, can you eat them straight off the tree? Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. They're very soft. They're a little bit mushy, but they're not, oh, they don't taste off or anything. They're just a little sweet fruit. And, yeah, you can use them for cooking. And they're really, they're a really good plant to grow. They're sort of, they get to be like a small to medium sized tree. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In cultivation, mm. I mean, there's a couple of very old ones at the Melbourne Gardens. It was another one of those ones that was was cultivated early, early in the piece. So there's a big one at Caulfield Park, and yeah, there's certainly some at the Melbourne Gardens, which are mature trees. Mm. Um, 
lovely one at the Geelong, Geelong Botanic Gardens. Yeah. Uh, which is old, 150 years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you wouldn't call it a, a massive... They're not a huge specimen tree. No. no. I mean, they're a tree. Yes. Um, but they're, you know, they're not towering. Yeah. I think you could, if you wanted to grow them and, and harvest the fruit off them, you'd just prune them. You could actually clip, you could yeah. clip them. Yeah, they do could, clip up quite yeah, well. Yeah. 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 So we've planted a whole heap in the gardens at yeah, Melbourne yeah, Polytech good, campus. Yeah, good, good. Well, yeah. again, another example of uh, you know, East Coast rainforest species, which is really tolerant of a whole bunch of garden conditions mm. in, in, in Victoria. Mm. They're yeah. so, so interesting. I've just brought a picture up yeah. of them. So they look like they're the size of an olive, but the yeah. colour of a blueberry, yeah. and then they have a little green bobbin at the end. So the yep. green bit is the gymnosperm fruit. Yes, yep. wow. Not the fruit. It's the gymnosperm cone. That's right. But it's quite a fleshy cone. It's a fleshy cone, yeah. yeah. And and it's a modified stem. Yep. Very distinctive. A fleshy, yeah. edible, modified stem. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Fantastic. I must pop in a quick community announcement before I forget. We've finally been able to get the Yarra Edge Nursery at the Melbourne Polytech Fairfield campus up and running again. Uh, COVID and all that sort of thing. Great. They're having a big grand opening next uh, next Saturday and Sunday. Nursery's back open. We've got a really good selection of indoor plants, fiddle figs and um, a few other different types of ficus, devil's ivy, all those sorts of things. Plants that are propagated by students and some plants that we, that we order in externally as well. So that grand opening is next Sunday. Uh, in Melbourne Polytech campus in Fairfield, which, as I like to say, is the old infectious disease hospital, which yes. then people know where it is. <laughs> um, and prior to COVID, was it a it, it was a viable thing? The nursery. It was, yeah. yeah and there's we've got a coffee machine up and running now, so that you can get you can grab coffees. Uh, there was a, a cafe that was directly next to it as well, but that's not up and running at okay. the moment. Yep. Yeah. So get on down. Interesting grounds. Yeah. A, 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 again, bit of age to them. I mean, I'm not sure the history. It's a really it cool campus. So we've got the, there's the heritage buildings yep. and the gardens that are surrounding it. The gardens aren't heritage listed, but the tree there's are some trees that, that are, are trust listed. Natural, uh, natural national trust yeah. significant trees register. Uh, a couple of sugar gums. Okay. Uh, some beautiful Cedrus deodora. Nice deodora. Deodora. Yep. Hmm. And a particular species of ficus called ficus pomata. Really? Indian oh, fig. That. That's in that courtyard. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in a terrible spot. Yeah. Um, but it's got this knobbly light grey trunk. Yeah. Um, very light, light and lightweight wood and these sandpapery type leaves. Yeah. And Interesting thing. The fruit is um, like is sandpapery on the outside as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really fascinating tree. Have you tried to eat the fruit? No way. <laughs> It'd be one of those like, yeah, yeah. just oh, no, I'm not going to try to no, eat the fruit. No, don't give that a try at all. We are running through till 9.15 and this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I have John Arnott and Emma Heard in the studio with me this morning. Stephen Ryan has, has left the building to do his uh, duties the number, if you want to chat to us briefly, is 94190155. The text message line is 0488809855. And I will remind listeners again, next week is our Radiothon show. We will be starting at 7.30 and running through till 10am. 
will have heaps of products available, gardening products and a whole heap of other botanically related products. What's the what's the format? Do people call in and subscribe? Is it that sort of You can gig subscribe or? to the station. You can call up. There will be a whole heap of volunteers from the station at every single phone here in, um, in the station property. Um, just taking donations yep. um, and helping you process anything that you want to buy. So and we'll be talking on air about all the different products that we've got. So and donations are acknowledged yes. live, that sort of yep. thing. And yep. I'll, look, I'll be taking donations that if you want to, if it goes to air and you, you then want to double it, I will be taking those sorts of donations Beautiful. too. <laughs> yep. Okay. So that's just straight out. Um, uh, incentive. <laughs> yeah, incentive. <laughs> yeah, so you can just donate or you can donate and get some products. There's some Karanga vouchers as usual. Uh, Four Pillars has donated one of their gin packs okay. that has uh, some native botanicals in it. Uh, yeah, heaps of books as usual. Great. Um, there's, there's so much stuff. Can I jump in and, and spruik a couple of things coming up? One is this week, yep. uh, Landscaping Victoria are holding their landscape show. Nice. Um, so for horticulturalists that are working in the landscape industry um, and anyone working in the landscape industry, um, that's being held this Wednesday, the 22nd of June. It's from 8am till 3pm at the Caulfield Racecourse. And it is a free event. You just mm. need to register on their website, which is www.thelandscapeshow.com.au. Terrific. And then coming up a little bit down the track is uh, Encouraging Women in Horticulture. We've got our AGM. Um, so that is going to be on the 18th of August. And we're having a wonderful permaculturalist come and talk to us about permaculture. Her name's Beck Lowe. Um, and it's going to be a short AGM. We like to keep it, <laughs> Good. Keep it, keep keep it punchy yeah. <laughs> and, and then have our speaker and it's, it's over dinner as well. So we like to... Encouraging like to... women in horticulture is really hitting its straps, isn't it? Oh, I, feel, I feel like it's really wonderful. I've, I've been working with them for, or volunteering with them, I should say, yeah. for almost 10 years now. So I feel like oh, good you on know, you. it's such a great organisation. The yeah. committee really works hard. Yeah, mm. yeah for sure. And, 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 and I guess that's the other thing just to mention about the show mm. is that all of the um, guests that come on to the show are volunteering their time um, Yes. You know, for 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 the uh, the through CR cause, but for the horticulture cause, yeah. and you yeah. know, it's just nice to um, I don't know oh, a- acknowledge that, great. or yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. it it's a, a a remarkable thing to do, but it you know, it's subscribing to the station. It's a, a kind of a validation of the value of the station yes. as well. Yeah. yeah, and that's where yeah, Radiothon next weekend. Yep. it's going to be great. It's going to be great. All right, we've got where we're starting to run out of time, but of course. Everyone calls right at the last minute. That is okay. Good morning to George in Preston. What is your conundrum? Uh, I'm just in the middle of trying to figure out whether, because I'm moving house, um, to transplant um, or repot um, either now or in come spring. And there's a number of plants which, like Camellia japonica and um, some Australian natives, which were uh, just breeding as a bonsai, but... I've got them in the soil, and now I have to move. So the big conundrum is, should I take chances on clipping the roots and whatever now or come springtime? How, how, do you know the names of the Australian natives, and do you know how long they've been uh, in the ground? The is one inside the pot that I've transplanted recently, mm-hmm. and um, it's Blackwood. Yep. And um, 
How, how long have they been in? Malaluka in Potton. They've been there for a couple of months. Oh, a couple of months would be fine. Um, yes. they'll, they'll probably still have the shape of their pot. Um, okay. they, they, look, they would have thrown, in a couple of months, they would have thrown roots into the soil. Yeah. Uh, but, but in essence, if they've only been in for a couple of months, the, the pot shape should still be there and they should, they, you should be able to, I think the trick is to, is to transplant them and pot them up straight away so mm. they're not exposed, the roots aren't exposed to the air for extended periods. But That's they the should trick, transplant okay. Yep. And, and the camellia will be fine too. Be fine, yeah. Yep. Yep. Do they need acidic soil, don't they? Uh, to they be... That's their preference. That's their it's preference. not a have to have. No, yeah. they're pretty resilient. Okay. Yep. And again, uh, if the camellia is quite... I've got a little rip of gum inside the soil. I was just wondering how what the chances are of um, pulling that out and transplanting into another soil or pot it environment. Should, it, it should be fine. Camellias are I just, pretty adaptable. Um, I'd water them with sea soil or some sort of seaweed okay. um, yeah. tonic fertiliser. Uh, and that that helps with the transplant shock, and and maybe repeatedly for, for yes. um six weeks, eight weeks, yep. a couple of months, three yep. months. Yep. Okay. All right. So do that now, or come yeah, good time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good time. It's a good time. Yep. All okay. right, George. All the best. Thank, Thank you, you for calling. Bye. Um, Bernie, if you could ring back uh, either next week or the week after, we can help you with your Selvia conundrum then, because we have run out of time. Um, thank you to everyone. This morning that's coming, thanks to John, Emma and Stephen. I must say thank you to the people behind the scenes too. So Susie in the studio this morning, Liz who does our socials and Karina who does the podcast. Have a lovely Sunday, everyone, and we will see you next week for our Radiothon. Please get your credit cards out. (laughs) Have a lovely Sunday, guys. Bye. See you, folks. Bye, everyone.